guys, welcome back to the first episode of 2022, which is literally crazy, and then also episode 36 of the Rare Disorder podcast. I'm your host, Shivani Fiasa, as always, and before we get into this episode, I just wanted to say I'm so incredibly grateful and thankful for like all the support that I've received in the past year in 2021. Um, Just looking back, the Rare Disorder podcast has grown so much in 2021. I got a ton of new followers, made a ton of new connections, and of course, the most important part, I allowed so many people to share their stories and different experiences, um, share their rare disease journey, and all that. So also, our rare disease community has also just grown so much, and just the amount of requests I've gotten to be on the pod and um, just I have so many exciting new episodes coming in 2022 actually um, with all these amazing people, these amazing storytellers and I'm just so excited for what 2022 is going to bring for the podcast. Um, Obviously I have like a ton of goals I've kind of written down for the podcast Um, and just some new things to come and also for myself personally some like life update goals I was thinking of doing a life update episode soon on just like kind of what I've been up to with school rare disease advocacy Um, especially in this upcoming year I'm really looking to do like a lot more public speaking in the rare disease space um, at different conferences and things like that and especially um, hopefully safely travel to different conferences all over the U.S. Um, and like different roundtable discussions, things like that. Um, but happy holidays and happy new year to all my listeners. I hope you had a great holiday season. And of course, like as I said, 2022 opened so many new doors for us. Um, this year is actually really important to me because I'm graduating high school, which is such a big milestone for me, and I'm going to be moving into college. Um, I've also recently started an, a really exciting internship at Cura Disease, um, which is super exciting. I'm super excited for that opportunity. Um, so yeah, I hope you all had a great holiday season and kind of set some resolutions for yourself, whether that's for like your personal li- personal life or your rare disease advocacy. Um, I know like rare disease week is soon, so maybe like some goals for that. But um, yeah, so I just wanted to start off this episode by saying thank you guys so much. And all right, so let's get right into the episode. This week's rare disease fact is 1 in 10 people in the United States of America have a rare disease. Now it's time for the best part, today's guest. Today, I have a super special guest on with me. I'm so excited to have Beth Wen with me on the Rare Disorder podcast today. Beth has deep expertise in the rare disease community, from being the founder of Rare Strides to serving as a Georgia Nord ambassador. I'm so excited to have you on today, Beth. To start, I wanted to ask if you could give an introduction of yourself. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Um, So 
My name is Beth Wynn. Um, I'm a registered nurse. I'm also a patient with a rare disease, and I love to lead and advocate for the rare community in my roles as a founder of Rare Strides and also as a volunteer Georgia Nord ambassador leading state-based events. It's very nice to be here. All right. Thank you so much, Beth, for that introduction. Um, so I was just wondering, like, what got you into the rare disease field initially? Like, what is essentially your rare disease story? That's a very good question. Thank you for, for asking. Honestly, I spent 15 years working in nursing, many different areas. Um, I spent several years working med surge, and then I transitioned five years to transplant And then from there, I really felt that my heart wanted to be in the midst of helping people at their worst moments. So I went from transplant into emergency room, and I really loved that setting. Um, I really loved getting involved and, and helping the families when they were facing some very tough decisions. And I also loved to, um, to figure things out. I loved to work on solutions to some of the most complex problems. And I found that that was really my calling. I love to um, go in and sit with patients and families, even after shift sometimes, and, and just spend that extra time with them and find out what it was we could do to really um, make an impact and make a difference in their stay. So when I started becoming sick, that kind of really threw me for a loop. As you can imagine, I was at the, mm-hmm. the height of my career in nursing. Um, I had received numerous advocacy awards. And for me, my service as a nurse, it was always about serving others and figuring out how I could could really help in that in that clinical setting, make it less scary for those families and and really bring them together with with their medical team um, to be an advocate. So I started becoming sick with symptoms that didn't make any sense. Um, For a while, I pushed through them. I thought that I was simply working too many hours, that perhaps I was overstressed. And then I started having symptoms that I couldn't ignore. I started having visual changes. Um, I started having dizziness, difficulty. Uh, maintaining my balance, wide swings in my blood pressure and heart rate. I started having periods where um, I would lose my vision altogether. And I knew at that point that something more serious was happening and that really I, I needed some answers. So I started going to a primary care to try to run some tests and find out you know, what was going on. And most of my tests at baseline came back absolutely normal. Um, I felt like maybe we weren't looking in the the right place. So I just kept going back to work with few answers, uh, really knowing in my heart of hearts that something was going on, but we just didn't know what it was. So one night that culminated in an emergency situation. I was taking care of someone who was crashing, not doing well at all. And I lost my vision. I ended up falling in the floor. Um, I don't have much memory about that evening other than waking up on a stretcher with my colleagues around me going, oh my goodness, your blood pressure's tanked. 
your heart rate's off the charts. It was about 150s. I remember that um, because I was losing my vision, they went ahead and did a spinal tap. My intracranial pressure was greater than 50. So um, they thought I had a brain tumor. I spent probably a week in the hospital, very sick, nauseated, uh, dizzy, undergoing multiple tests. And by the time I was discharged, I had a diagnosis of high pressure in my brain, but they weren't sure why. So it was a, it was termed papilledema and intracranial hypertension at that time. So I was referred to follow up with some specialists for further testing. Well, I was unsatisfied because as you can imagine, when you work in healthcare and you have critical care training and you've seen a lot of different diagnoses and, and symptoms, certainly having information that you have something wrong, but we don't know why, it's unsettling. And when you have high pressure in your brain, it's very concerning and, and you want to know why. You want answers. So I ended up traveling out of state to a specialist at Johns Hopkins who there finally diagnosed me with something called primary syringomyelia. And that is a rare disease. So that is how my journey into rare began. Um, from the time I developed symptoms until the time I was diagnosed, it was a five-year time frame. And unfortunately, despite all my knowledge in critical care and all my training as a nurse, I couldn't even help myself because there were few resources available to really understand what those symptoms meant or even a community out there to support me, much less specialist that might be available to treat my condition. So when I was finally diagnosed, it was a relief, but then it was also a tremendous amount of frustration because the resources at the time were extremely limited. There was a lot of misinformation online about the disease. And I felt that from a nursing perspective, I was too sick to go back to bedside care. So what could I do to really help make a difference for people like me with my disease? Um, when I started my journey, I was told I was the only one in Georgia. I went and launched a nonprofit organization to teach medical professionals. And from the launch to now, there's over 8,000 people with my disease. Um, I found out that I'm certainly not the only one. <laughs> there's a lot of children and adults like me that have very similar symptoms. A lot of us have eerily similar complications. There was a disconnect between communicating our symptoms to our doctors and medical teams because many times we would have to go in and explain what is this disease, how is it pronounced, what are the different body systems that can be affected, um, how can it affect the rest of the body. So as you can imagine, from day one on diagnosis day to the day that we go in and teach this information to medical teams, there was a lot of frustration um, because we felt to an extent, I felt, my goodness, I've got to do everything, right? There's few resources. There's no medicine to treat this condition. There's, you know, a limited community. So now what? So... Along that journey in the nonprofit space, 
it really brought me to some bigger nonprofits like Nord, like Global Genes, who are connected to a bunch of rare disease nonprofits and other resources. So it opened more doors for finding more assistance and a community of people with rare diseases to connect to. Um, believe it or not, because of the hardships and obstacles faced in my own journey as a nurse, I realized, wow, if, if I don't have enough resources and I feel lost as a medical professional who understands a lot of diseases, mm -hmm. then how much more suffering must the community endure, right? Mm -hmm. um, someone with absolutely zero medical background must suffer tremendously when they're trying to get care and treatment and resources. So from that day, I realized that I had a powerful platform as a medical professional with a rare disease. I could speak up and really make a difference. So that's how my rare journey began, <laughs> essentially. That's such a super inspiring story. And I just love how the different parts of it come together to kind of comprise like where you are today with your own nonprofit and also doing all this great work in the rare disease field. So I really applaud you for that. Um, but along this like kind of getting into rare disease, what would you say your favorite part of just the advocacy work you do and like the awareness work you do is? I would say my favorite part is connecting to those patients and families and seeing the smiles on their face and just the hope that they have for a better future, you know, and listening to them and in, in hearing all of the barriers and obstacles that they encounter, it makes me feel like, wow, I can really help them. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm someone who can, and who can go forward and really speak to medical teams. I can surround myself with other nurses and individuals within medicine that want to help the rare community. And we can open that door. We can make a difference. We can start breaking down those barriers and solving the challenges for the rare community. There's a lot of us working on that. And I think I have a very um, integral role there because of the hardships I've experienced as a patient and what I've observed in my own nonprofit, it gives me very powerful insight to understand how to address and solve some of the challenges for the rare community. We're always going to work towards solving challenges. There's going to be a revolving door. I think that anyone who says they've solved everything, no, no, no. We're always going to work towards that. Um, but it's that willingness and it's, I think when a nurse, when a doctor stops and they listen to someone who's going through a rare journey, it gives them hope that there is someone out there that believes them, that says, okay, it could be, right? So so let's listen and let's try to figure this out together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so about your nonprofit organization, I know that its mission is to really empower patients and medical teams. Um, with different tools to fight rare diseases and just like really um, being committed to the delivery of um, exceptional clinical care for rare patients in every medical setting. So given that, I was wondering 
Um, why did you initially create Rare Strides and what does Rare Strides do or stand for in the rare disease space? So Rare Strides is, well, it's a medical company and what it stands for, it really stands for as a beacon of hope for um, patients and medical teams to, to help them understand and find next steps in care. Um, Our programs and our mission is, you're right, it's all about empowering medical teams and patients together um, to know, okay, where are the resources, right? Um, Can we connect them to that next step in care, to the trusted resources in the community? Um, We can deliver education. We have several programs. One is Code Rare. It's our flagship program. It's about connecting medical teams and first responders with continuing medical education Mm -hmm. to to gain a better understanding about rare diseases in medical care, all the way from activation of 911 through uh, every phase of that patient's medical stay, even when they go home. So um, we want to be that um, a program of support so that we can get them the information quickly and also help to break down some of the barriers that are present for for patients in care. One example I'll give you is that when we apply Code Rare to one patient journey, if there is a a need to better understand uh, how to help a child or adult in uh, in their medical care, whether it be isolation, putting that patient on isolation, or making sure that um, a particular set of of protocols is initiated at first contact, we can do that through our Code Rare program. So that's extremely exciting. Um, It can cut down on missteps and help Mm -hmm. to um, get patients the right treatment faster. Another program we have is Rare Wish. It's all about um, granting wishes for children and adults with rare diseases in the community. Again, it's about restoring hope and, mm-hmm. and giving them something to look to, whether it's um, helping them pay off a medical bill or perhaps to get that durable medical equipment that they need or perhaps a shopping spree. Um, if it's something just to to brighten that child's day or or give that adult some hope if they're really struggling, paying for one of their medications, or uh, if they need a wheelchair, for example. Mm -hmm. That's a way that our Rare Wish program can help that family. And any child or adult can apply, and every five years they can re-qualify. And all they have to have have is a rare disease to qualify for that. Um, So it, it makes my heart happy knowing that we can give back to the rare community in that way. We also have something called a Make Rare Visible Challenge. And what that's about is about amplifying the voices of children and adults in the rare community so that they can share with our nurses what are some of the hardships that you encounter in bedside care. We feel that patients and families feel that they have a, a really good relationship with nurses so they can share easily some of the hardships and difficulties they might encounter. And then our nurses are happy to professionally present that to members of the medical team to say, hey, 
can we solve this challenge together? Mm-hmm. So we like to go to the table and just say, you know, for this particular rare disease, for example, in my own community, there were a group of parents who had infants with um, syringomyelia and Chiari, and they were dying suddenly, some of them, from undiagnosed central sleep apnea. And through education and through the introduction of a plan of care, we were able to teach that central sleep apnea was a risk in that population. So pediatricians began to screen for that in some Mm -hmm. of the children that presented with syringomyelia and Chiari. So they were diagnosed earlier and we had less incidence of SIDS. So that was a huge impact. And what we wanna do at Rare Strides as a bigger picture, we want to connect patients through an app to a clinical portal to their clinicians and let them share in real time what's going on um, so that they can get better next steps in care so that Mm -hmm. clinicians can get the best of the best resources and information about where to find those next steps in care. It's important for the nonprofit community to know that that's a way for them to connect and share their resources, the 501c3 nonprofits, because it's also beneficial at the first clinical visit to know, hey, is there a community for this disease, Mm -hmm. right? If you present with that, um, I wanna get connected right then, not months later. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways that we can really help support the rare community. And so we're gonna go out on training days um, and share this information. And we're going to have it as a multidisciplinary resource for all clinicians to have access to. Um, coming up, we have a glow-in-the-dark, make-rare-visible concert. It's going to be fun in May, <laughs> May 7th at 5 p.m. at Swanee on the Square. We have our Pediatric Rare Wish Award coming up February 26th. It's going to be a live um, taping and a podcast event. And then we have our adult rare wish that's going to take place at our glow in the dark concert. Um, we also have something called strides for hope awards. So what that is, is when, when there is a medical professional or a first responder that goes above and beyond for the rare community, we want to acknowledge that. We want to say thank you mm-hmm. for helping this rare family. Um, thank you for going above and beyond. So if that family wants to recognize them, those are some of the ways that we engage with medical teams and with the rare community. Yeah, that's great to hear that Rare Strides is taking on all these really amazing programs. And as you, was, as you were saying, I feel like um, just hearing from the patients is really the best way when you're like creating a plan to of care or like a plan to go forward because I just feel like that firsthand experience really tells a lot rather than um, maybe like what the what someone else has written down on the sheet or something like that I just feel like that firsthand experience is really critical and I feel like rare strides really pushes that and I just um, think that's really important as that you guys have what that as one of your goals yeah, we we feel like all those perspectives are very important and because there's a lot of things that aren't written down, a lot of things that are missed. And we're saying that it's all important. It's all significant. So let's let's um, 
welcome and listen to the patient community and really put into practice what we're saying, right? Mm -hmm. We're not just another industry face or another cold face um, that's not listening to the rare community. We really do care about the well-being because at Rare Strides, we're comprised of compassionate leaders who, yes, have the leadership degrees, but they've been through it. They mm -hmm. have had a rare journey. They have encountered those obstacles, the same obstacles, or, or if not the same, very similar obstacles and barriers, both in community and in medicine. So they have that dual perspective. And that is so important when you want somebody to go to bat for you to really help represent the rare community in medicine. You want someone to do it who understands what it is to go through that rare journey. We have people on our team that have you know, been through almost losing their child to rare. So there is a ton of passion behind that. Um, and that's why we have a heart of giving back. So people may say, wow, you know, you're coming out the gate in an unusual way, right? You're not selling software products, no. Rare Strides will have medical software, but we're coming out the gate giving back because that's who we are. That's our heart. It, we're all about giving back to the rare community and showing them that, hey, we're here to create free programs for you in healthcare, free services in healthcare. You know, we want you to utilize this because we are people that get it. We get the journey and we're here to represent you and fight for you mm -hmm. in medicine. That's what we're here to do. So, um, it makes me so happy. Oh my goodness. I, when I go to bed at night and wake up, that's all I think about. <laughs> so, how can I help the rare community? I think there are a lot of topics that we could cover for the rare um, community that are of importance. And certainly we want to hear from patients and families. What are some of the topics that we can address? Um, but some prominent topics I think that are of concern is how how can we unite patients with medical teams, right? And not be dismissed for, for presenting with similar symptoms over and over again that are, that are not seen every day. Uh, we are working on restoring that relationship and providing credibility for those symptoms mm -hmm. um, through education. I think that um, even in my own nursing, when I took care of patients, I felt more confident taking care of patients when I had a plan of care mm -hmm. and when I understood what I was up against. I think that many times when medical teams are up against a rare disease, they don't have the resources they need to mm -hmm. properly take care of the patient, um, which can result in a lot of confusion and, and missteps. So we want to help. We want to address that. Um, we are also really introducing something that flows nicely in clinical workflow. With the mobile app and clinical portal, it's something that is already utilized in medicine every single day. It's not uh, something that's asking medical teams to go outside their comfort zone. It's actually something that is more friendly for clinical workflow and would allow them more time with their patients uh, versus in front of a computer. Mm -hmm. So. The other is eliminating barriers to care and care coordination. I think that with rare diseases, all too often there is, um, there may be a misconception that if we just address this aspect, right, the person's gonna feel better and go on their way. However, most rare diseases are very complex. Mm -hmm. They may 
impact the whole, you know, everybody system. So what we've introduced is a multidisciplinary rare model of care. And what that does is it really allows for information and evidence-based standards to encompass everything from pediatrics and primary care all the way to end of life. Because we want to say that even if we don't know if this disease affects this particular body system today, there's room for it 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. So we're proposing that we don't know all the answers yet, and we may not get there 10 years from now. But we're starting a foundation so that we can better understand these diseases. And we're hoping through Rare Strides that over time, we can be even more refined and helpful so that we can tell the doctors, well, at zero to three months, this is the best evidence we have for care for this. And from six to 12 months, this is where we are. From one to three, this is the best standard we have the recommendations, and these are the top resources for you. Um, and we're proposing that it's okay. We get in these arguments a lot of times about data. Where's it coming from? We've got a ton, ton of different resources for data. Well, we have a place to put it, even if it has no value. So that's very, very exciting. Um, in addition, we're all about delivering three programs for patients uh, with rare diseases. So we'd like to see in the future a medical program for every single rare disease, 7,000 plus. Um, we would love to be a part of doing that. I think that would be amazing <laughs> mm -hmm. to be able to have a medical program for every one of them, justify medical necessity, and here we go. Let's go. Um, in addition, for the physicians, you know, we, we want to give them something where where they have an area that they could test things, right? So if they're working with a group of patients and they want to see and test a different outcome or test to see what would happen in here, but it won't affect the overall record, we are introducing something that we feel can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, we also believe that the patient's the owner of their data. So if they want to share some information, they can. If they don't mm -hmm. want to, they don't have to. Um, it's their information. It's their right. Um, we are truly advocating for patients and their families and putting them at the center of healthcare. Every journey is important. Um, I have lost people that I love to a rare disease. Um, I know I'm not the only one. There's a lot of us who have lost loved ones to rare. Um, but I'm here doing this because of them and because of my heart as a nurse. I don't want to see people suffering needlessly when they don't have to. And right now, there are things we can do to eliminate suffering for the rare community. Mm -hmm. We can put care and treatment plans and prevention into action, into practice, we have to break down the silos of you only go to the expert for care. No, mm -hmm. no, no, no. It's every medical professional's job to treat a patient with a rare disease. Now, having said that, I know I'm going to get torn up in the comments for it. <laughs> However, 
Yes, the specialty care is to the experts, absolutely. But it is everyone's job in, in medicine, if you have an active role in healthcare, you should take an active interest in a rare disease. Why? Because every rare disease is connected to a common complication that can be prevented. In my own case, I developed heart failure and pulmonary hypertension because other symptoms were not addressed early on connected to my rare disease. The saddest thing is it could have been prevented had it been addressed early on, not the rare disease, mind you, but the symptom. So by instituting preventative measures, better understanding, medical education, and next steps that are supported with medical evidence in the clinical setting, we can go a long way at improving the quality of life for children and adults with rare diseases. And at the end of the day, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Give them back quality of life so that so that they can enjoy doing things like going outside, mm-hmm. walking to their mailbox, you know, going with their kids to go see a movie without having an emergency. Yeah. Um, not coming home and crying, feeling like they're crazy because they're told we don't know how to help you. We got to stop that. Mm-hmm. We can do something about it. And it's up to us to to solve those challenges. We're happy to. <laughs> it's the least we could do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I know. Um, just going back to like the provider patient relationship, I know that one of the values you really hold true to yourself is the inclusion of the patient voice. And I just was wondering, like, why is this so important to you? Because I feel like many times the voice of the rare patient can be silenced or can be, it's, it goes back to make rare visible, right? People with rare diseases feel like they're invisible many times because when there's, there's questions about care, resources, um, even plans for the future, it seems like it always gets pushed to the back of the agenda, you know? Uh, we can't do this because there's not enough money in it or you don't have a, a drug or a medication so we can't pay for it or whatever the excuse is. We we could come up with a thousand excuses. You know, I do this because I love the rare community. That's it. And I feel like um, every voice matters. Every voice is important. Even the voices of those who have gone, we can learn from something. Uh, We can learn from the journey of someone who died last year from a rare disease, if their family wants to. That's that's the powerful thing about this, is if we will just listen from the family members, if we listen to the patient, we can move forward in honor of their journey and put into place preventative measures and better studies and better understanding so we don't go down that road again so that the next person presenting for care with that disease gets better treatment. That's all that that's all that's wanted is simply to have more visibility um, and more recognition in medicine and in other settings as well. 
when you go and you're in a wheelchair and you go to an event and there's no accessible sidewalks, automatically that's telling you that you're not welcome there. And I feel like in medicine, that's something a lot of us have encountered. We've called and we've made the appointment, we've gone in for care, and then automatically we're thinking, oh goodness, this was a mistake because already the staff's asking me how to spell this. <laughs> how do you Google it? And then you're thinking, oh man, I know more about this than they do. That's a scary feeling, you mm -hmm. know? So <laughs> we have amazing groups of medical teams, patients, nonprofit. All these people have put together amazing resources and tools that they want to share with the medical community. They've worked many, many years on these tools. They just need a way to get it there. Mm -hmm. And I would like to say that Rare Strides has a way to plug that in and give credit to the folks who have worked really hard on those tools um, to promote better understanding. So the voice of the patient, it's all about honoring their journey and making sure that it's not for nothing, right? Mm -hmm. um, that we continue forward and we learn from what they've gone through. So um, from a nursing perspective, You've got to have compassion. You've got to have empathy. And you've got to listen to your patient. And right now in medical care, that's what rare patients want. They want someone mm -hmm. to listen. And not just listen, but take action and do something about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree with you that like patient's voice matters. And honestly, that's why I do my podcast in the first place. Because I love to really get patient stories out there so people can listen to it and be like there's more behind them than just um maybe like what they have read about the disease on paper or something like that because just hearing from the patient themselves I feel like really makes an impact and it also really makes the patient themselves feel very empowered which is I find really important because sometimes when they go into the doctor's office, they might um, be kind of put down or just like come back not feeling as cheerful as they were when they went in just because of um, maybe like the there was like lack of knowledge or just something like that. But um, storytelling is just a really important aspect, I feel, in the rare disease field and um I've met like numerous other people who also believe in storytelling just like you um, and I feel like um, especially in the rare disease field since these patients are so far apart and there's also like just such a small amount of patients it's a really integral part of the rare disease space. Absolutely I I absolutely agree with you there um You've got to have a way for patients and families to share their stories because that's the only way we're going to learn. It's a very powerful experience. And, you know, even in delivering bedside care, listening to the families and their experiences help teach us better ways to take care of those families. And we would learn when we were discharging people, um, too, we, we learned from the mistakes. If they came back and, would, and said to us, there was some confusion here because this is what was um, was said. This is the way this information was presented. It was confusing. We didn't 
and we would change it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it would just change their whole outlook, something Mm -hmm. that simple. And so by really listening to patients and their families and by taking care of the whole patient head to toe and their family, that's going to create a whole different level of care for, for the rare community in medicine. It's not just about finding the diagnosis or identifying the gene. That's a small part of it. Mm-hmm. The bigger part is the quality of care and the ongoing care somebody receives from the time they walk into the office till the time, till the time that they grow old or they age out of care. Mm-hmm. You got to take care of that person. Um, and you got to listen to them above all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, it's a big portion of, of what we need in healthcare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and also just like increasing access to care for rare disease because um, specialists sometimes are either really far or just hard to find. I feel that we really need like more specialists in like because just there's just like such a small number and sometimes like a lot of patients have to travel many, many miles um, just to see a specialist, which I really think like raises these issues of health inequity and like disparity, which I think is a really big like issue that needs to be worked towards in the rare disease space. Absolutely. And that's why we're so, uh, we're such big advocates for primary care pediatrics to get involved with the specialists. Um, rare strides is a big advocate of that because really they help close the gap when they're not able to travel out to see the specialist that still would not prevent the primary care or the pediatrician from getting in touch with a specialist to go ahead and activate next steps to take Mm -hmm. care of the patient. So even though it's a gap now, I fully believe that there's a way to address that to make it easier for the community. And that's what I'm going to be advocating for at the Capitol and within Rare Strides. Yeah. Um, All right, so as a, just kind of shifting gears here, as a Georgia Nord ambassador, you're kind of representing or serving as a voice for the state of Georgia regarding rare disease, and um, you are really, like, really involved with the policy in Georgia regarding rare disease and just everything rare disease in Georgia. So I was wondering if you could kind of talk about your experiences as a Nord ambassador, Um, This could be like progress they've made with the Rare Disease Advisory Council or just rare disease in general in the state of Georgia. Sure. So, you know, in my other role as a leader for the National Organization for Rare Disorders, you know, um, I really work on connecting the community, the rare community through the Rare Action Network here in Georgia. Um, For the last few years, we have actually led spearheaded rare disease day at the state capitol here in georgia to to really be visible and to be a voice for rare patients in georgia Um, we also have led efforts to establish the first georgia rare disease advisory council and what that is is it's a formal forum so that um, we can discuss the unmet needs to the rare community and basically provide those with a rare disease, a stronger voice to the state government. Um, We are actively pursuing 2022 legislation that would establish an RDAC in Georgia, and I'm happy to report that it was introduced this past Sunday um, in front of the Health and Human Services Committee. So it looks 
uh, very promising. We are very hopeful that it will go through this year. That's great to hear that we're like really making progress. And um, regarding like just rare disease in Georgia, I was wondering if there's like any um, things you see more prominent in Georgia than you've seen in like um, other places, especially with the different like rural and urban parts of Georgia. Um, is there just like anything specific you've noticed? I think that over the years, the the attendance, of course, at Rare Disease Day has grown in terms of the disparities and hardships that are faced by the rare community here. Really, in in and and we do hold coalition meetings and and uh, virtual online meetings to listen to. Um, to patients and families here in Georgia, I think that the disparities and hardships that are faced are very similar as in other states, believe it or not. Um, we, we do find that there, there is, is a presence of, um, how do, how do I say? There are barriers to care here, barriers to access. Uh, we do find that a lot of people share they have to travel out of state for care, and that's tough to hear. Um, we do have folks that struggle to have um, enough funds to pay for medications, struggle with things like justifying medical necessity, for example. Um, so those are some areas that we like to work on. One of the, you know, we, we do have several areas of focus, and of course, care coordination is is one of our focuses as well mm -hmm. here in Georgia, and that's something that I really think we can make a difference. We want to bring um, patients, nonprofits, uh, medical leaders, nurses, um, and those that are involved in, in administrative decision making to the table to hear what are the disparities and how can we work on those together. Um, a lot of what I do in my leadership roles it it, it, it interconnects. <laughs> Um, the barriers are, are prominent and it's going to take a lot of us to, to work on them and, and really address them. But I'm, I'm happy to say that in every role that I've had, um, the patient voice is powerful and it's something that uh, we certainly want, want uh, patients and families to let us know what's going on in real care. You know, are you able to access care? Are you heard when you're, when you go to, um, to the doctor? Do you have the equipment you need? Um, what are some of the hardships that you face? Because when we see legislation coming up that could impact the rare community, um, NORD does a great job of, of really flagging some of the legislation that comes across in the states early. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we help with that as well. Um, but they look out for things that would affect the rare community in a detrimental way. And they're great at at raising the red flag to say hey we gotta advocate against this or we need to go you know um raise our voices and and tell the stories and i think that goes back to um especially for this rare disease advisory council when it comes up in front of the committee if there's a public hearing on it it's really important to get patients that are in georgia with rare diseases if they want to share their story um, to get in touch with the Georgia Rare Action Network so they can kind of share their journey um, mm -hmm. because the decision makers need to hear from the patients 
about the disparities they face. It'll help them. Um, it'll help them make decisions about this legislation and potentially push it through. They got to hear the story because it makes a big impact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So just kind of as we close out now, I was wondering if there was anything you want to leave my audience with, or just anything you would else that you would like to share today. I just want the rare community to know that I honestly love my rare community. I would do everything I can to to help address and solve each challenge that there is. Believe me, I'm not afraid of Mount Everest. I've faced several in my own journey, and I'm not afraid to climb yet another Mount Everest. If there are disparities and hardships, know you got a nurse out there fighting for you in healthcare. Um, at the Capitol, hey, I'm there representing the patient voice. I believe in you. You are heard. You are important. And we're going to make your rare visible. So just know that. <laughs> All right. Great ending. So I would like to thank you just so much today for joining me, Beth. Um, it was great speaking with you and getting to learn about like the different initiatives you're involved in and all the like phenomenal work you do for the rare disease community. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me today. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for today's video. Thank you so much for listening. And I have a, another episode coming out this Wednesday, the 26th. And I'm so excited for this episode because it is with a hereditary colon cancer warrior who has had a long trail of advocacy and just sharing his story so I'm super excited for that um if you think you can guess who it is let me know but until then have a great day and week and I'll see you guys on Wednesday